Hello, my name is James O'Sullivan and I am here today with David Crowley and Jack Burke and we will be interviewing Professor Luke O'Neill, the world-renowned scientist and professor of biochemistry and immunology at Trinity College Dublin. He is also the author of many books including the recent bestseller, Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Science. In this fantastic book there is a section that covers addiction titled Why You Can't Stop Doing Things That Are Bad For You. In this chapter one of the main focuses is the modern-day addiction to screens, in particular, mobile phones. So here, with us today, we have Professor Luke O'Neill to talk to us a bit about this topic of screen addiction. So, Professor O'Neill, I guess we can start off by speaking a bit about how these mobile phones pull us in at the start, and how they're designed to get us hooked. Could you tell us a bit about that and the science behind it? Yeah, it's very interesting, James. I mean, the big question is, can you become addicted? To a mobile phone. Now, obviously, we can get addicted to all kinds of things, and things like alcohol, caffeine, nicotine. These are all well-known things that people sadly become addicted to. And the evidence is we're addicted to mobile phones. And it seems to be the texture. They feel lovely to touch, and you can scroll the screen. That seems to stimulate our brains, you know. Yeah. And then secondly, just what we see on the screen really is exciting for us and compelling. And then we get drawn to them, and we're holding them in our hands, in our pockets, you know. Mm. It's like a comfort blanket. So all those things seem to trigger the, the pathways in our brains that could lead to addiction. So are they designed specifically like that? To be addicted? Oh, you're, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I think that there must be an element of that. Mm. Clearly when Apple, say the iPhone, for example, they knew what they were doing, the way they designed them, you know, to be so beautiful, you see. So, so I suspect that's part of the, uh, the, the process here to make us addicted to them. Mm. Okay, well, so... You know, you've discussed before another thing, the signs of being addicted. So we're wondering, could you please tell us a bit about how one would know that they're addicted to their phone? Yeah, there's a few hallmarks of addiction. And like psychologists and psychiatrists would uh, list them, you know. Hmm. And clearly, you know, things like you, you, you do something that gives you pleasure, starts with that. And then you want more and more of it, and it gets really, really sort of awful, and you begin to think about it all the time. If you don't get it, of course, you feel terrible. You know, you get this withdrawal symptoms. Mm. Uh, they're all hallmarks. And then it begins to ruin your life. I mean, you, you know, you wouldn't say you're addicted to watching a football match, say, mm. for example. But if it begins to ruin your life, it affects your work, it affects your relationships. Then you know you're an addict. You need to get help and do something about it. One big hallmark of addiction is you're doing it when you know it's bad for you. So, for example, drug users will take drugs even though they know it's not good for them and they wish they couldn't. So it's almost like a relentless thing that's very hard to avoid. Now, when you take a mobile phone, you know, I think the Irish, on average, are looking at their phones 70, 80 times a day. They, yeah. The average teenager wakes up twice in the night to check their phone, for instance. These are all signs of addiction. And you're scrolling, of course. This yeah. thing called doom scrolling. You're scrolling all the time and you can't stop. And you know, you're dying to stop and go out for a you know, play a sport or something, but you're in your, in your house constantly scrolling, that's a real sign of an addict. So it does have many of the key features of addiction. Yeah, of course. And uh, then, is there any app in particular that you think uh, raises, in particular, uh, teenagers' screen time more than any others? And if we could delete these apps, then it would help us lower the screen time substantially? Yeah, a big one in general is social media, remember, because that gives you pleasure, especially if you're liked by someone. We're very social creatures. Yeah. So we like to work as a group, don't we? And if, if, if someone on social media is giving you praise or li giving you a like, you know, whatever it might be, or retweeting your tweet, mm. that gives you a buzz of pleasure. 
you see, because we're built to, 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 to enjoy that kind of thing, you see. And that then triggers the pathways in your brain that can promote addiction. So a big piece of advice is don't spend too much time on social media because it will draw you in more and more. Yeah, of course. Uh, Professor O'Neill, uh, everyone has a phone. What makes, what makes someone become addicted to a phone? Well, that's a great question. I, th- I think it's overused for a start because the more you do something that you're getting a kick out of, that will rewire your brain. And now your brain is now susceptible and you want to do it again, you see, because that pathway is getting triggered. So certainly time on, 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 on phones will increase the risk of this. And then secondly, if you're vulnerable, and clearly if people have anxiety or depression, they might get comfort from a phone, you know. And then that, again, becomes an addictive process. So I think it's your state of mind can also drive this sort of process. So if you're finding signs of this and you're, you're getting drawn in, just try to, try to avoid it is, is, is the message, if you can at all. At least limit your time on it. Yeah. And uh, in your book, you say you lost your phone and it felt like you'd lost a limb. Can you please tell us more about this experience? Yeah, I knew I, knew I must be an addict. I was, in, I was in Seattle, actually, at a conference in America. And I was in a McDonald's. I, I do go and eat fast food sometimes. <laughs> uh, put the phone down, turned away. From my mind, it was a minute. Turned back and the phone was gone. Someone had robbed my phone. Now, I had a massive jolt. Of, oh, good God, my phone is gone. Now, I, I use my phone for work and I had loads of notes and stuff. Now, luckily, I backed it up to the iCloud so I could retrieve it later. But I had no phone for about two days. And it felt like, oh, God, you know, I felt awful. I yeah. worried. Now, I began to get to mind, you haven't said that, I began to get used to it. So when I got the phone back, I had to re-engage with the thing. But it was a terrible business not to have a phone. I think everybody would agree. And then a, a good experiment to do, actually, even, even among your, your pals, would be get people to swap phones. In other words, I give you mine, you give me yours. They've shown anxiety goes up immediately in that situation, little pulse of anxiety. You don't have your own comfort blanket anymore mm-hmm. you know you want it back and you're frightened the other person might destroy your phone you see so, so that, that feeling I had when my phone uh, was stolen from me was, was a, a bit like an addict desperate for another fix kind of thing did that, did that subside after a bit after having lost it or, it did yeah. yeah I was quite surprised I was in Seattle I had to come back to Ireland then to get a new phone you know so the way it took about three days for me to get home from the conference and go, go and get a new phone. It did. Uh, by, by the time I got to day three, I was get, get, kind of getting used to it. Hmm. I'd gone into cold turkey, if that's the yeah. phrase, and came out the other side, maybe. So there was, I felt there was a bit of hope for me there. Now, mind you, I got the new phone, and then I was worried I hadn't backed things up in, in the cloud, and luckily I had. Hmm. The relief I felt had a massive dopamine rush when I had the phone, a new phone in my hand, and all the data was there. It was brilliant, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Just, I just want to ask you quickly. You, were, you mentioned earlier about your social social media and about how that's quite addicting. So, would you be would you be against the existence of that, or would you think it's fine and I guess healthy? Amounts of I time think it's, 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 it's We've all all through history, we've we've invented things that eventually become problematic for us, and then we find a way to work with them. TV was the big thing in the seventies. Kids watching TV ten, twelve hours a day, you know, and their parents worried about them. And now, of course, we're on screens of many different kinds. These things can be very beneficial as well, remember. And, and Twitter and Facebook can be very useful things. So you're trying to get the balance right then between the upside of those sorts of things and then avoiding the downside. And you've got to educate people. I think it's very important for young people to be educated as soon as possible mm. about the pitfalls and the dangers of these things and how to use them properly. I mean, for me, on Twitter, I, I use Twitter a huge amount for science because I follow all these scientific sites and all my information actually on COVID comes off Twitter because I follow all these scientific journals but I block all the comments because you don't want people coming at you you know mm. so there's ways to handle social media 
so that it isn't disturbing for you. And I'd advise people to do that, avoid the nasty side of it, because social media can be extremely nasty. We have all heard about how going to sleep just after being on your phone or having it beside your bed while you're sleeping is very bad for your sleep. Could you tell us a bit more about the science behind that? Sure. Well, more than anything else, it's sleep disruption. So you need a good night's sleep. It's really important for your mental health. If you're, and most people need seven, eight, nine hours, right? Yeah. If you're getting woken up twice in the night by your phone, or even you'll come in and out of sleep, you see, you're waking up slightly. If you if you go back on your phone, then that's going to wake you up, and now your sleep is severely disrupted. So the first thing is to avoid sleep disruption. If it means leaving your phone in a box somewhere in the room or in the drawer, that's good. You know, even some people put their phones in a different room to stop them having to check the thing during the night, you know. So sleep disruption is the first thing. Secondly, there is some evidence that the light coming off the screen is disturbing your sort of what's called your circadian rhythm. Yeah. We all have this 24-hour rhythm. That we, you know, we fall asleep, we wake up, we, we go about our, our daily, day-to-day lives. The light coming off phones can disrupt that, and that means you mightn't be getting the type of quality sleep you should be getting. Yeah. There's some evidence for that. So, so you've got to be careful, especially if you, like 30 minutes before you go to sleep, definitely put your phone down and read a book or whatever it might be, you know. Would that, that be the that time? Might... Would you reckon, sorry, would that be 30 minutes or an hour? It's different recommendations. Which one would you think would be? I think 30 minutes probably suffices, yeah, for this. And then and then get into the mood for sleep, read a book or whatever it might be, you know. Yeah. But try and, try and avoid screens just, you know, 30 minutes before you go to sleep, basically. Yeah, all right. Just, just out of out of interest... In relation to that, I would like just to expand upon that. And in, in, for me personally, if I ever I look at my phone before I go to sleep, you know, I I tend to. Because often they say you might struggle to fall asleep at that, but I often tend to fall asleep quite quickly. Maybe that's because I'm, you know, just really tired. But yeah. you know, I'm wondering, would that be having other effects on me if those effects aren't being shown through maybe it taking a while for me to fall asleep? Well, I mean, there's evidence that, for example, that whatever you're looking at just before you go to sleep, you might have a dream about that. It might disturb you. It might disturb your sleep. That's one thing, you know. Mm. And who knows, your subconscious mind might be slightly different. The trick with sleep is try to relax, try to get your brain into a cool, relaxed kind of place, you know, Mm. and that would ensure then you go through the cycles of REM and so on during the sleep profile, Mm. you know. So so the, the reason why, if the phone is exciting you because of all the information coming in or... Or maybe it's your friends and they're giving you texts about certain things that get you thinking too much. That's bad for sleep, you see. So, mm. so that's why if you are on your phone before you go to sleep, play whales making noises or something like that. You know, get, get your brain into a relaxing Okay, nature. okay. And, you know, you see on the news that people said social media has been influencing politics, like the outcomes of elections actually quite nobly, like in America, and that, quote-unquote, fake news online is effect- affecting our views on politics. So what's your take on the convergence of, you know, phones on this technology with influencing real-world events like that? It's very devious, Jim. Mm. Another chapter in the book actually goes into this. The very first chapter is called mm. What Makes You Think You Have Control Over Your Life because there's no doubt we're getting played by social media mm. and, and it's sending us... Uh, advertising has been going on for decades, of course, but there's very subtle things happening on social media to manipulate you, you know? And there's a lot of controversy. Facebook released data advertisers and there was targeted advertising like if you're an introvert they would send you one type of ad if you're an extrovert you might get a different type mm. that, that, Facebook were fine for that because they're, they're obviously giving private information up there so there's all kinds of ways in which this can happen and then remember there's plenty of trolls and organised sort of uh, 
uh, campaign mm. to send messages out to people to influence how they vote even, you know? Yeah. So you've got to be very careful with these things. This, is, this isn't the normal line side of, of social media. I think people like Facebook and Twitter are very well aware of this, and they're trying to stop it, basically, you know? And then the other thing is, like, companies like Cambridge Analytica, yes. they were taking data off people's mobile phones and sending them to sort of lobbyists to lobby them to vote in a certain way. So... So really, this is a bit pernicious, this aspect of social media, we think. I think it is going to change. I think those big companies have to be get much more um, diligent about, yeah. about their platforms, you know. And do, do you think that will happen, that they will try well, and Well, I this? think they're under pressure. I mean, the U.S. government is trying to pressurise them. The European Union is, you know. And we've got to see what happens. I mean, we will see less hate, I think. Yeah. Because they are screening tweets, for instance, for hate words and racist terms and so on, you know. Mm. And you can use algorithms to control the things that are being sent through social media. I think that will happen, you know, for definite. How extensive it is, of course, is the next question, but it's heading in the right direction. Um, my question is to you. Uh, addiction can cause so many problems, such as financial issues and, in extreme cases, death uh, for some addictions. Will phone addiction, will phone addiction cause, like, death? Could it cause death? That's well, a good question. I, I think it's such a part of our lives now. It's like an extra limb, isn't it, really? As I said earlier, when I lost my phone, like losing a limb. You can't stop people. I mean, I bet all of you guys watch TV and look at your phone at the same time, for instance. Yeah. You know? yeah. so, um, it's very hard to stop it, isn't it, in a way? And as I say, if we can get rid of the malign part of it, and the malign part is advertising, getting you to behave in a certain way, or manipulating your voting preferences, or indeed attacks on you, personal attacks that will disturb your psychology if they can be got rid of and that's a bit of a dream at some level then this is, this is probably okay because it's a useful thing to have you know it's used in all kinds of ways and remember I think especially during COVID we all survive with our WhatsApp groups in a way because it's yeah. our social community and we need to socialize mm. to keep part of being a human and then smartphones can be very helpful in that regard so there are positives as well that we should always think about you know before we think about banning them so that way. now whether, whether it's enough to make you uh to kill you, that's unlikely, of course. Yeah. It's not like a chemical addiction. Yeah. It's a behavioural addiction, you see, which are a bit different. There's two types of addictions, you see, chemical, which means you're addicted to heroin, for example, or behavioural, like gambling, you know, they're behavioural. The, the smartphone or the iPhone idea fits into the behavioural side of things. Oh, OK. Thank you. And just a big one here, I think, is um, how do you think we can minimise the time that we spend on our phone and battle against these addictions? Like, say, we could... Uh, delete some apps or put some time restrictions on with apps such yeah. as Arab Act or what do you think That's of That's right. Those? Yeah, less apps is good, number one. You you do see on smartphones now that, that tells you you're like a screen time. That's not a shame. You're just stopping, I imagine, like seven hours. Good God, I've been on my phone for seven hours. So the question is, will that work? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think your, your, your best bet is to, is to limit the things you're doing on it. Like, I only do uh, Twitter now and my emails. They're the main two things I do. Yeah. And then a couple of apps that I like, like weather apps and things like that. But, but I really limit it, you know, because I know it's, it, it can be a slippery slope, you see? Yeah, of course, with all the social media. Exactly. Now, Luke, do you think that phone addiction dependency will get worse than how it already is? Well, it might because younger people are on their phones now. Yes. The, the, the mind of a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old is very plastic, you see. And if, if they get into it, that could influence them for the rest of their lives kind of thing. You mm. see. That's one thing to watch. We should be very careful about the age that's allowed to have, have, have smartphones because the, the mind is still developing. And this applies to teenagers as well to some extent. The older you are, the better, because your brain is pretty set then. Mm. The risk, if you give it to very young people, they might be more, more prone to it, you know? Yeah. And that's a concern. So, um, 
So will it get worse? It needs to be kept in a close eye on that because there's a chance it might in a way. And then as I say, the only way out of this mess of social media is to have restrictions and algorithms as we were just discussing there mm. to make it a less malignant influence on mm. people, you know? Okay. And just on top of that, if it's all right with you, given your, you know, speaking about COVID-19 and all that, and we thought if we might take this opportunity to ask you uh, a few questions about that, would that be all right? Sure, absolutely. Okay, yeah, I, far away. I'll just hand you over. Uh, do you think that we're ever going to go back to normal again, or do you think this is going to be the new reality? I think it'll, it'll go back to near normal uh, once we've got good vaccines, of course. And we don't know when they're going to arrive. There's uncertainties there, it must be said. Uh, there's a prediction that by the middle of next year, there'll be eight vaccines approved. It'd be fantastic. You know? yeah. So once we can vaccinate the population, especially the vulnerable, like older people and uh, people with other diseases, uh, that's a great advance. Because now it doesn't matter if young people get this virus, really, because the vast majority do fine. You know, It's just this vulnerable group and vaccination will protect them. Now, if that's the case, then we, need, we can worry less. Uh, whether we get back to electric picnic, I'm not for sure. <laughs> Certainly not for we'll a year. See, yeah. But that's the ideal breeding ground for the virus. So I say we're two or three years away from that. But I do see us in a year's time, things almost back to normal. A bit like New Zealand is now, in fact. I mean, one billion people in the world are now mm. almost uh, have escaped COVID in a way, you know? Yeah. So we're, we're heading in that direction. And it's not fully back to the way it was, but certainly it's a good 80% of the way there. Well, that is, that is, that is good news. And... I was just wondering as well, just to go back to the topic of phones, this, this just came to mind while you were talking about it, and because we have the opportunity to be talking to you now, I thought I might as well ask it, was that, you know, you often hear that phones, uh, and more specifically social media or various apps, cause people lots of stress. So, you know, what would you have to say about all of that? Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, if you can imagine before mobile phones, mm. there were still people bitching about you behind yeah. your back, you know, there were still people slagging you off, mm. and that was disturbing. We're evolved to be fearful of that. It's a threat to us, you see, and then if we're threatened, then we get anxious. And it's supposed to make us act. You know, the anxiety is has a positive purpose. Mm. You know, in other words, avoid that dangerous person or, or maybe defend yourself, prepare yourself for the next attack kind of thing. So mm. this is all about evolution. Now, mobile phones and smartphones come along and exacerbate all that. They've, they've, they've exacerbated an innate trait in us anyway. And when someone's fires you and asks me tweet or a Facebook posting or whatever, you're immediately a bit anxious. Mm. It's a threat, you see. But sure, you can't so, es- you can't escape them now by going home. Well, that's right. Exactly. They're on your bloody phone. <laughs> you yeah. can't delete yeah. it if you like, but it lingers. And that's perfectly natural. Remember, we're evolved to be that way. But the trouble is, it goes on and on. It's chronic. It's it's you know it's a bit too extensive, and you can't really fight back because it's someone anonymous half the time. Yeah. At least someone you can't get that near. So therefore, that builds up, and that's when you get anxiety, depression. And of course, another part of my book, I talk about the level of anxiety and depression in in younger people it has skyrocketed. And I'm sure social media has a part to play in that because of what I just said there. So is it is it a lot higher than your generation, for example, would have gone? It does through? seem it's, it's always hard to say because these surveys are involve involve asking people questions and they give answers and fill in forms and so on. You yes. know, so if you say to someone, "Are you unhappy?" A fair number might say yes, but it's just they mightn't be. You know, so the answer mm. to the question, you know. Yeah. If you give someone a chance to complain, they often will. So it's hard to evaluate that. But I do think if you talk to the professionals, the psychiatrists, the psychologists, they've seen a massive increase in, in significant anxiety okay. and significant depression, much more so than when I was younger, I would say. Yeah. And um, when you used to be able to go into restaurants and you'd walk in, you'd see, normally see children on 
their parents' devices and when they were taken off, they'd be crying. Do you think in 20 to 30 years we'll start seeing that the majority of the population will be addicted to screens? I think so. It's almost like as if uh, it's, it's like we've evolved an extra device in a way a part of our bodies, you know, yeah. the extension of our bodies. I think it's hard to avoid that because, as I say, there are huge numbers of benefits to these devices, remember, which, which will be still evident in time to come. And as, I say, as long as there's controls on them, it won't be that serious, I think. Yeah. And do you think that it's poor parenting to just, if they're crying or if they're uh, giving hassle to the parents, to just give them the device and they stop, they just stop talking? Because some of them are just nearly like they're in a different world. They're, they, don't, they don't respond to questions as fast as if you weren't on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That probably is. I'm, I, I never blame parents for being one myself. <laughs> you got to do whatever it takes sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but certainly the advice would be not to do that and try and avoid doing it. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks a million, Luke. That um, looks to be all we have for you today. And I Great just stuff. want to thanks from everyone here that you were, you gave us your time and you were available for us. And just thanks a million. No problem. Happy to help. Good stuff, lads. All the best. Well, thank you very much to Professor Luke O'Neill for sharing with us the dangers of phone addiction and his educated opinions on these matters. Of course, I'm sure you listening found what Professor O'Neill had to say about coronavirus as interesting, though perhaps as worrying, as we did. He's a leading authority in both of these fields, so it was a great opportunity and experience to get to interview him. We're just coming up to the end of our time now, so I feel it might be worth it to ask all of you, after having listened to this interview, a certain question. Our phones and social media in particular, a force for good or for evil? A tough question indeed to answer. Many will say we are more connected than ever before, with our friends just a text away, while others may argue the negatives of that. Only time will tell which side is right.